Yo, what's good, everybody? What's good? Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, the IKP. I'm your humble and highly favored host, Isaiah Kid, and I am back at it. I am back at it. I hope everybody out there is doing fine. I'm doing well. I'm ready to pod. I am ready to pod. I feel like I haven't podded in so long, but it's only been a couple days. But um, I'm ready to pod. I'm locked in. I'm locked and loaded, ready to go. We got a, we got a lot to get into. I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna break down. I'm gonna give my takeaways, my key thoughts on March Madness so far in the tournament. Um, the take up the key takeaways that I have gotten from the tournament, just watching all of that basketball over the weekend, plus also NBA talk. LeBron James is out. LeBron James is out indefinitely. Uh, we're gonna talk about the state of the Lakers. Is it time? Is it is it time to cause for a pause? Is it panic time in LA? Are the Lakers out of the championship picture? I'm gonna talk about that. And I know a lot of you guys are like, what? Out of the championship picture? I'm not no, I mean, I gotta 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 I gotta hype it up for you guys. Gotta hype it up. Gotta hype it up. It's a part of what I do. Uh, you know, <laughs> gotta hype it up. But we got a lot to get into. Um, maybe some NFL free agency and so forth. Um, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this at the end of the episode, at the end of the last episode or so forth. But after the draft, um, after free agency and after the draft, I will I will put together my my way too early twenty twenty one predictions for the NFL season. I'm going to put together my way too early predictions just after free agency and the draft. And, you know, so I'm going to put that out very soon, right after the draft. Uh, I'm going to, you know, just going to evaluate some teams uh, or, you know, teams all throughout the league. But let's start in the NBA. Let's start in the association because uh, I, I, I I watch a lot of college basketball, and I'm I, I I've seen a couple things that I like. I seen I, I mean, whew, Gonzaga's. I'm I'm gonna talk about that though. I'm gonna talk about that. But let's talk about the Lakers. Let's start with the Los Angeles Lakers. Is it time to push the panic button on the Lakers? Is it time that we start wondering and questioning? Is this Laker team? Gonna get ever get healthy? It, it like and it, can this Laker team catch a break? Is it time? Is it is it time to pause? Is it is it is it is it time? Is it panic mode time? I don't know. But what I do know is, I was on record before the season started. I was on record and I said, "Hey, I look at because I, I looked at the acquisitions." That the Lakers made this this past offseason. They added Dennis Struder, who I thought at this point is a better player than Rajon Rondo. At this point, I thought I thought Dennis Struder was a better player than Rajon Rondo at this at this point. Um, they added Montrez Hurl, a really productive guy um coming off the bench, one of the better reserves um in the league. One of the better reserves in the league and won six man of the year. So he was coming off a career year. The Marcus saw addition. I mean, 
quite hasn't panned out to what a lot thought it would be. It seems like he's very slow. He's just past his prime, and I, I just don't see much use of him or for him, I should say. But I know the big news is LeBron James got hurt. Um, he's he has a high ankle sprain, and I was, <laughs> I and I, I and I tell you guys this up front. I'll be up front. I'm not a doctor, but I watched a couple videos. Um, and I and I I got a pretty good reference from a doctor about the high ankle sprain injury. And I know it seems basic, like when you say when you when you hear high ankle sprain, like I know it seems like a basic injury, but in as far as the recovery time, some may think that a high ankle sprain is like, oh, it's nothing, it's it you know it's it, it, it won't linger, but that's the that's the opposite. That the high ankle sprain injury is the is the complete opposite. It does linger. It takes a long time to recover. But now, but more importantly, more importantly, because I don't want to get too doctor, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to play doctor. No, 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 no. But more to my point is this: the Lakers are now, I feel like, in a tough position. I'm gonna put it like that: they're in a tough predicament because looking back at the Brooklyn Nets and that trade for James Harden. It wasn't only a trade where the Brooklyn Nets said, "Hey, we're just going to add we're just going to put we're just going to add another superstar quality player because we can." No. I think the Brooklyn Nets looked at James Harden and they they saw an insurance policy. I think for all the older for all the adults that may know how important insurance policies are. They're really important. <laughs> They're really important when disaster strikes. So cars, house, anything. Insurance is really important when disaster strikes. And not only with adding James Harden, that would make the Nets the, a big three with Kyrie and Durant. It wouldn't only do that. It wouldn't only make them one of the best offensive teams we've seen. It would not only make them do that. It, 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 that's not the only reason why they added James Harden. But they looked, the, the Brooklyn Nets, and I give Sean Marks a lot of credit, they looked at their situation with their stars and, Ky, and Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving is, I'm a, to put it kindly, it's kind of a loose cannon. Kind of a loose cannon, sometimes could be injury prone. Right now, he's out again for personal reasons. Kevin Durant, I love him to death. I love his game. Freakishly talented. I don't need to say that, but I just said it. But over the last couple years, Kevin Durant has not been fully healthy. Has not been fully healthy. And I know he's coming off the Achilles injury. And I know he had the hamstring injury. So I know the I know the Nets are trying to take that you know, step by step, and they're being really, really cautious with Kevin Durant, rightfully so. But that's why they traded for James Harden. It's, like I said, yes, James Harden's a great player to add to a team with 
Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Great player. And he's and it's and he's proving it right. He's proving how versatile and how great he is. He's he's proving that right now. But that's not the only reason why the Brooklyn Nets traded for James Harden. They traded for James Harden because they knew James Harden was a great insurance policy in the regular season. Kyrie is somewhat of a loose cannon, even when they was trading for James Harden. Do you guys remember when they was trading for James Harden, when the trade first went down, Kyrie was on his first mental break. He would remember you, you guys remember that whole sabbatical where he was out for personal reasons. Yeah. Even then, the Nets looked at James Harden as an insurance policy. Now, Brooklyn is, you know, Durant still not quite, you know, the, the Nets still don't want to play Durant quite yet. Uh, Kyrie is out, again, for personal reasons. And you have James Harden. And James Harden has been the most consistent piece for the Brooklyn Nets. And that is why I think he deserves major major MVP consideration. So you're probably wondering, okay, what does that have to do with the Lakers? Well, it has everything to do with the Lakers because now, now the Lakers are down two stars. And at this point of the season, especially in the Western Conference, you can't be down two stars. And this is why the Lakers need a third star. This, because you look, because in Rob Palenka, I don't know how he's going to do it, um, I don't know how he's going to pull any strings because now, now you look at the Lakers' two superstar players, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is very injury prone, very brittle. He's injury prone and very brittle. And LeBron is very durable. We praise LeBron for being very durable and spending a lot of money on his body. But let's be honest, the last three years, LeBron James has had two serious injuries. <laughs> and right now, the Lakers don't have an insurance policy. They don't have an insurance policy. So right now, they're driving around a broken down whip with no insurance. Right now, they have uh, they have leakage in the roof and they're trying to cover it up with buckets, with buckets because they have no insurance. The Lakers they don't have, they they don't have an insurance policy unlike the Brooklyn Nets and that is the and that and that is one of the reasons i think it's one of the main reasons why Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets were so hell bent on adding James Harden and the Lakers right now Rob Lincoln right now yeah they could use a third star right now because like i said Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets, they were honest. They looked at their two stars that they already had, and they're like, mm, Kyrie, injury prone, and, you know, sometimes he can be off mentally. KD, love him, great player, but, you know, somewhat injury prone. <laughs> Let's go out and get James Harden. And the Lakers are now down to superstars. And they're probably going to, they're most likely going to drop in the standings. And they're going to probably be around six, the sixth spot. They're going to probably, they're going to probably be around the sixth spot. Simple as that. Now, let's talk about how this impact, you know, how does this affect their championship chances? 
how does this affect their ultimate goal? Okay. So, speaking of the Lakers' playoff chances, or I shouldn't say playoff chances, championship aspirations. I'm just going to put it as simple as this. Because I don't want to make this too much longer. I'm going to put it as simple as this. If LeBron James and Anthony Davis are both healthy, I still have enough confidence in the Lakers that they have win the Western Conference in advance to the NBA Finals. If both of those guys are healthy. If LeBron James and Anthony Davis are both healthy, I still have enough confidence in them to advance to the NBA Finals. Now, at this moment, as we sit here, uh, and once again, I'm recording on Tuesday, and the Lakers play the Pelicans tonight, and I think the Pelicans are going to win. So if I'm correct and the Pelicans win, the Lakers will be 28 and 16. They'll be 28 and 16, and they have, and they'll be the fourth seed, excuse me, in the Western Conference, right behind the Clippers. The Clippers will move up to the third spot because the Clippers have the tiebreaker. So the Lakers will be the fourth seed. And to and to and make the and to make the math easier. Between the three seed and the six seed, there's only two games. There's only two and a half games that separate the three, the three seed and the six seed. So the Lakers, if they go on a, a on a five game losing streak, a four game or five, let's say they let's say they go on a five game losing streak, and the Clippers win, the Nuggets win. The Blazers win and so forth. The Lakers could be at six. The Lakers could be at six by the time of next week. Next week around this time, the Lakers could be at six if the losing streak continues. And those teams like the Clippers, those teams that I mentioned, like the Nuggets and the Blazers, those three teams win. The Lakers could be at six. And then you have the Spurs, who are not far, far who, who are at seven, who are not far behind behind and the Dallas Mavericks who are not far behind those two teams are at seven and eight so that's just to add a little bit more perspective um towards the situation but I think if both guys are healthy if both LeBron James and Anthony Davis come back healthy I still have them winning the Western Conference because the Western Conference is terrific a, a great it's a great conference, and 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 these teams are really good. Utah is really good. Phoenix is really good. The Clippers are really good, and I and I and you guys know I really like Phoenix and the Clippers. I like those teams a lot. I like Phoenix and I like the Clippers a lot. But you cannot point out one Western Conference team where you say, with with Anthony Davis and LeBron James healthy, they can beat the they, they can beat the Lakers in a seven game series. I just don't think so. I don't think you can point to one team and you say, that team can do it. I'm not saying Utah couldn't do it. I'm not saying Phoenix couldn't do it. But you got. But I don't think people will come out and say, hey, Utah is going to beat them in a seven-game series when healthy. I don't, think t- I don't think a lot of people will come out and say that. I don't. I don't. There's not one team. That like, ooh, that like that everybody is scared of. And you guys know I like Phoenix. I really, really like Phoenix, and I really like the Clippers. 
But there's no one team that really scares anybody. Great teams. There, there, there are some really good teams, but even like Denver and Portland, you know, too a little too inconsistent for my taste. Don't play, they don't play enough defense for me. Great teams, though. Some really good teams in the Western Conference, and it's not going to be a cakewalk for the Lakers, no matter how you slice it. It's not going to be a cakewalk. And by the way, if 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 like Anthony Davis isn't healthy and it's just LeBron James. The Lakers won't make it out. They won't make they won't make it out the Western Conference. They won't get to the finals if it's just LeBron James. They won't. They won't. And vice versa. If it's just Anthony, they, they won't make it to the finals. Simple as that. So let's move on to my thoughts on the NCAA tournament this past weekend. Um, I got I think they're I think they're pretty compelling. I think, you know, might have heard them already, but let's move on. And now thinking about it. Before I move on to the tournament, let me talk about the MVP race as far as in the NBA. Because with Joel Embiid gonna miss you know, Embiid is gonna miss a lot of games. So that would kind of eliminate him. LeBron James is gonna miss a month of basketball. So that's gonna eliminate him. I told you guys. This was going to be a strange year. It's a strange year, and I think the MVP race is going to be, or whoever wins it or the candidates, it's going to be indicative of that because this is a very, very strange year. But a guy that I, you know, I know I I, I mentioned James Harden. Um, obviously, people, you know, people are mentioning James Harden, but a guy that I don't think a lot of people are mentioning that I think deserve a lot of MVP consideration, a lot of MVP consideration, I think has to be Chris Paul. I, I think it has to be Chris. I think, I think a guy that deserves some MVP recognition, um, I think he deserves to be in the conversation, I think it's Chris Paul. You look at Chris, I mean, people are going to say, well, look at his numbers. He's averaging 16 points. Roundabout, he's he's averaging about sixteen points, not almost nine assists. But it's not all. It's not even the points and the numbers. Sometimes it's not all about the numbers. Sometimes it's just about what do you bring to a team? How much value do it bring? Do you bring to a team? And I talked about this before the All Star break with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, if outside of LeBron James. Because LeBron, like anywhere LeBron goes, he's kind of he's he's won championships. But outside of LeBron James, Chris Paul is a he's a bona fide winner wherever he goes. And I just don't understand the backlash, the Chris Paul hate um, that he. I, I just don't get it. In every and he in Chris Paul, he's everything that the league is turning that the that you know he's he's the opposite of what the league is turning into. Chris Paul, mid-range game, the league is trying to get away from the mid-range jumper. Chris Paul actually wants to play some grit and grind defense. You know, a lot of teams, a lot of players in the league, you know, don't want to really want to do that. Chris Paul's a little feisty. Uh, you know, players in the league, you know, not quite feisty as Chris Paul. I, I, I just think, I just think, with I'm looking at the Phoenix Suns in he did it. It's remarkable. He did it last year with the Oklahoma City Thunder. He did it with the Clippers. He did it with the Pel. Like he did it with New Orleans. He did it. He did it in New Orleans. 
He turned them into a, a playoff team. Look at look look at their winning percentage prior to Chris Paul. Then look at their win, winning percentage with Chris Paul. Look at the Clippers. You look at look at the Clippers. Look at the Clippers winning percentage without Chris Paul or prior to Chris Paul, and then look at their winning percentage with Chris Paul. <laughs> literally, literally, and people tried to blame the the nerve. People tried to blame Blake. They tried to blame Chris Paul for Blake Griffin issues. No, but even at Houston, he took Houston to the, the to the next level. What year was Houston the closest to beating Golden State and advancing to the finals? Oh, yeah, that's right. The year they had Chris Paul. Why didn't they get it done? Chris Paul got hurt. Shows his, it, it shows how valuable he is. Even with a guy like James Harden, it shows how Chris Paul's value still shows. And then you, you, you look at Oklahoma City last year. Oklahoma City last year was supposed to be a lottery team. They were supposed to be a lottery team. Chris Paul goes to Oklahoma City. He turns them. You he turns them. He turns them into a top five team in the Western Conference, not in the Eastern Conference. The Western Conference, remarkable, remarkable. And then you, you look at what he's doing in Phoenix. It, I mean, Phoenix for the last several years have been one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. They've been they've been bottom feeders. They've been bottom feeders. Now, now you look at Phoenix. Phoenix is a legitimate playoff team, <laughs> and they had the second best record in the conference, in the Western Conference. At that, um, it, it's just it, like in Chris Paul. I think since a certain, I think after so the, the the Suns are in their last twenty six games. The Suns are twenty one and five. The twenty-one and five in the last six games, in the last twenty-six games, Chris, and, and, and that's what I talked about right before the All-Star break. Yes, Devin Booker is a great player. I love his game. I love his game, and I'm glad he got the he got selected to be All-Star. Didn't play in the All-Star game because he he had an injury. But you guys are not going to tell me that Chris Paul did not deserve that All-Star spot. <laughs> and right now, I think his name should be thrown into the MVP conversation as Embiid and LeBron are both going to miss a lot of time, and they're not going to be able to win MVP. They're not going to be able to win MVP. So I think guys, I think guys like Chris Paul are definitely on the table. I think I think a guy like Damian Leonard. Is definitely still on the table. Nikola Jokic, he's having a monster year. The Nuggets haven't been winning at the rate as you know, at the rate that they should have, that they should be, or that a lot of people thought they would be. But he's having a phenomenal year. Maybe they can pick it up. James Harden, obviously, he's been the he's been the most consistent star, um, for Brooklyn since he's got since he's been traded to Brooklyn. He's been the most consistent star. But I just don't understand, for the life of me, I just don't understand the Chris Paul hate. I don't. I don't. I do not understand the Chris Paul hate whatsoever because he shows his value time and time again. Time and time again, he shows his value. Shows his value. <laughs> I mean, time and time again. And right now with this Phoenix team, he has them looking like a legit team. You guys know I like Phoenix. He has them looking like a legit team. 
Let's move on to the tournament. So on Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday, <laughs> all of those days were were completely full filled up with basketball, college basketball in March Madness. Especially Friday and Saturday. You know, those, you know, a lot of there, there was a game there was there was like a game on on every channel. TBS, TNT, CBS, like every channel. Every channel there was a game on. Um and then on in in the same I mean the same could be said for Sunday and and Monday as well. But uh Friday and Saturday and was just absolutely terrific. Um I, I you know, I had some, you know, basketball, some delicious meals, love it. So here are the things that I've noticed in March Madness. And the more and more I watched March Madness and understand and see consistent trends and patterns within the tournament, I uh I pick up on it. I pick up on it and I pick up on it and I've picked up on it even more throughout this past tournament or throughout this past weekend with all of these games with these, with, you know, with a gauntlet of games. So there's always a Cinderella. There's always a Cinderella story or really always a Cinderella team that sneaks into the tournament uh, and they win a couple games here and there. They win a few games, they pull off a couple upsets and so forth. I think that team undoubtedly would have to be Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, 15C Oral Roberts. They beat Ohio State. That was a two seed in the first round. That was a ridiculous game, a great game to watch. Max Aismas, uh leads, leads the country in scoring. Elite guard play. Elite guard play, and he's been the best player on the floor for their first two games at, in the tournament. And then like I said, in the second round, in the round of 32, they went on and beat Florida, I think. Yes, they went on and beat Florida, seven-seed Florida. So Oral Roberts is definitely the center. They're, they're definitely the Cinderella story, okay? They're definitely the Cinderella. Then uh, another thing that I noticed while watching, Gonzaga is absolutely the best team in the whole damn thing. Gonzaga's the best, like, I, and I and I and I root for Mark Few. Uh, great coach. He's built a He's built. He's built a legitimate powerhouse at Gonzaga. And I talked about how sometimes people say, "Oh, Gonzaga, they always choke in the tournament." I mean, they haven't won the big. They haven't won the national championship game yet, but they've won a lot of tournament games throughout the years. Um, more than a lot of schools, more than a lot of big-time prominent schools, they have won a lot of tournament games. But Gonzaga this year, they are absolutely the best team in the whole damn thing. They're the best team in the tournament. I watched it. I watched both of their games, but I really watched closely. Them, you know, closely versus Oklahoma, and they were the best team. They would have. They were. They were clearly better than Oklahoma. And they they look like the best team in the whole damn thing in the whole tournament. They they they're the best team. Uh, also, what I noticed, the Pac-12 did better than what I thought. The Pac-12 is better than 
what I thought, and it's better than what a lot of people thought. The Pac-12 had a really good weekend as a conference. Uh, Loyola Chicago is back at it again. Sister Jean, and that, and, <laughs> and Lo, it, I mean, Lo, it's just such a great uh, story. They look like they could make it to the Elite Eight, Final Four, maybe. But Loyola, um, Loa, yeah, yeah, I like it. Uh, another thing that I noticed, more importantly, the Big Ten underachieved. The big, the Big Ten underachieved massively. And I hear all this praise for the Big Ten, and I and I, I don't want to do this because I have a couple friends that go to Big Ten schools. I don't want to do this, but the Big Ten has underachieved massively, and that was a continuous theme last uh, or this past weekend. So there were nine Big Ten teams that had entered the tournament. Nine Big Ten teams, including and and I'm including Michigan State, because they were in the play in the playing game. So I'm including Michigan State. Nine teams, only one. This was big. The Big Ten, mind you, people were telling me, "Oh, the Big Ten, the Big Ten looked like the small ten. The Big Ten looked like the small one." And that one represents the one team that advanced to the <laughs> to the Sweet 16. Michigan has just has just put the entire Big Ten on their shoulders and carried them to the Sweet 16. Because I had people telling me, oh, the Big Ten is the most competitive conference in basketball. It is the best conference in college basketball. Only one team advanced to the Sweet 16, and that was Michigan. And I'm not gonna lie to you; some of the some of the losses were a bit fluky. Like some of the losses, you know, if if one play went this way, a, a Big Ten team would have won. Like I watched the Rutgers and Houston game. Uh, that 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 had some big time notable plays where Rutgers could have closed the deal, but they didn't. Um, the Purdue game could have went either way. Uh, um, there were there were there were just games all over the place that could have went either way, but in spite of that, the Big Ten still massively, massively underachieved and underperformed in the tournament. And it's no surprise to me that Michigan was the only team to make it. To, and now, uh, let me not say that. I thought I felt like Michigan was the best team. In the Big Ten. Now, it, it was a bit surprising that Illinois didn't make it to at least the Sweet 16. With them being a one seed. But in my opinion, I felt as that Michigan... I felt as that Michigan... Uh, Michigan was the most consistent team in the Big Ten. I felt, I felt like they were the most consistent team in the Big Ten. Even without, even with them losing Isaiah Livers, even with them losing Isaiah Livers, I still felt like they were the most consistent team um, in the Big Ten, despite their 
you know, their bad finish. They had a, they struggled a little bit towards the finish line, but they were the most consistent and the most persistent throughout the year. But I look at the Big Ten and I'm like, okay, why did why did the Big Ten struggle so much? Why did the Big Ten why were so many Big Ten teams just completely knocked off and sent home? And it had me thinking. The Big Ten first. I thought this was the I thought this was going to be a year where the Big Ten experienced some success because the major like the big time blue bloods weren't they either got knocked out early or or weren't in the tournament like Kentucky and Duke didn't make the tournament. Kansas would soon get knocked out by USC. North Carolina got knocked out. So the like the the, the big time blue bloods the big time blue bloods that you know that kind of rule the tournament are not in it. So I thought, okay, the Big Ten should have a the Big Ten as a conference should have a pretty good tournament. You know, they got the, they got Michigan as a one seed. They got two one seeds. They had two two seeds in Ohio State and Iowa. Both of those got knocked off. Illinois got knocked off. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, the Big Ten, they're gonna have a they're gonna have a really good conference. But you know what? You know what they say. Elite guard play wins in the tournament. Elite guard play wins in the tournament. And there's not a there's not, and I hate to say it, but there's not a lot of elite guard play in the Big Ten. You look at the big you look at the top tier of Big Ten teams. Look at the top tier big look at the top tier Big Ten teams. Illinois had Kofi Cock, uh, Cockburn. Michigan has Hunter Dickerson. Iowa has Luca Garza. Wisconsin got a couple good bigs. You you see the trend? The Big Ten teams have really dominant bigs. They have really dominant bigs. But in in March Madness in the tournament in the NCAA tournament, I rather have an elite guard. I rather have elite guard play than elite bigs. I rather have elite guard play than elite bigs in the tournament. I, that that that's just my opinion. And you look at you look at. The Big Ten, there's not a there's not a lot, there's not a lot of elite guard play. I think you I think the best guard in the Big Ten is probably Ayo Dusumo from Illinois. The kid that wears the mask. Ayo Dusumo. I think he may be the best guard. He's prob he's probably the best guard in the Big Ten. But even he has weaknesses. And his weaknesses, they they were shown. They were shown, you know, really, he he, he goes right every time. Io goes right every time. He, he's very right-hand dominant. He goes right a lot. He goes right, he goes with that right hand, and he penetrates right a lot. And his outside jumper, as far as contested, is not great. So even, even with the best guard or... Probably the best guard in the conference in Io DeSumo has even he has weaknesses, like glaring weaknesses. So it just shows you the guard, the, the, the guard play at in the Big Ten. 
also the Big Ten. It's a it's more of a um, the Big Ten usually don't have a lot of one and dones. The Big Ten usually have older upperclassmen on teams. They usually have seniors and juniors. They usually have three and four year players in the Big Ten because a lot of you know a lot of their schools don't produce one and done guys. Usually, usually don't produce one and one 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 and done guys. Michigan may have one one year. Uh, Michigan State may have one one, but usually it's a it's a conference that that does not produce a lot of one and done NBA guys. Usually, so I think that was I think that was the downside with the Big Ten. I because you because look at the teams that's been really really dominant: Syracuse, Buddy Bayheim. Guard play, elite guard play. Um, even Or Roberts, Max Aismas, uh, elite guard play. You look at Gonzaga, Jalen Sucks, elite guard play. I think he might be the best guard in the tournament. I I think in the tournament in this in March Madness, I would rather have elite guard play than b- elite big man. I would rather have an elite guard than an elite big man in the tournament because elite guards can control the pace of the game. I've seen them do it time and time again. Elite guards can get a bucket anytime they want. Like if they like if they're truly an elite guard, they can get a bucket anytime they want. And that is that is really helpful and that's really beneficial in the NCAA tournament. In the NCAA tournament, that is really beneficial that you have a guard, a guy out on the perimeter that can go get a bucket anytime you need him to. And I think with the Big Ten, looking at it as a conference as a whole, I think they lack that. I think they lack that because you look at their, you look at some of their better, you look at some of their better teams in the conference. They have really dominant bigs, but as like Luca Garza, he put up great numbers. I think he had like 39 and 9 or 36 and 9. He, he had a great had a great day, but Iowa got ran out the gym. <laughs> Iowa got ran out the gym. Sorry. I Iowa got ran out the gym. Illinois with Kofi Coburn. I mean, good big, great big. He has a great physique, but you need elite guard play. You need elite guard play in the tournament. Also, teams that I liked, teams that really caught my eye. Syracuse, you can never count Syracuse out. I mean, Syracuse just they continue to find some way to just win games in the tournament. But Syracuse was really good. That was a great game between Syracuse and West Virginia. A great game. That was a great game between Syracuse and West Virginia. Um, so Syracuse really impressed me. Michigan, once again, the only Big Ten team that made it to to the Sweet Sixteen, they really impressed me. Um, can we put my list back up? Damn, I forgot my list already. Oh, Alabama. Alabama, the Alabama Crimson Tide. I told you guys they were my dark horse to get to the Final Four. They look really good. They can shoot the lights out. Between 
probably between them and Gonzaga, between Alabama and Gonzaga, they are probably the best three-point shooting teams in the tournament. Baylor's right there too. But looking, I mean, I saw Alabama and they were just they were just stroking it last night. I mean, they they were they were killing it. They were killing it. So Alabama is definitely I told you guys they're my dark horse to get to the final four. I told you guys that already. Um and they look really good. But you look at look across the Big Ten. Uh the Big Ten looked real small. The Big Ten wasn't so big. <laughs> Let me stop. Pause. Um, yeah, Big Ten wasn't that big. <laughs> but in and, and, and like I said, and like I told you guys at the top of the segment, the more and more I watch the tournament, it's very entertaining. The games are very entertaining. I found myself clicking back and forth. On the TV, oh, this game is tied, and oh, this game went to overtime, and I was like, oh, whoa, <laughs> you know, I was clicking back and forth on my TV, and it's really entertaining. It's it's like the entertainment factor, it has it. It 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 hits the it hits the spot. The NCAA tournament, as far as entertainment and drama and suspense and parody. It hits it. It hits the it, it hits all of those. But as far as the best method, as far as the method that they use to find the best team or to crown the best team, I should say. Uh somewhere. Uh, somewhere. Uh, one game. It's like you have you guys ever thought about why the NBA had a best like why they do best out of seven because uh you know first basketball is a game of runs um and if you watch if you watch the tournament over the weekend you would you would you you've seen a lot of runs made by res- both respective teams so in the best out of seven series usually usually in basketball in the best out of seven series usually the best team wins usually more times than likely, more times than not, the best team wins in a best out of seven series. So I'm not, and, and when I say like, I don't, I don't think this is the best method to crown the best team in the country. I'm not saying the NCAA should change their format. No, keep the format because, like I said, it's really entertaining. It's going to bring in a lot of money as it always does. Um, and I'm, and I'm, cur- and I'm actually curious. Speaking of money, I'm actually curious to see the ratings. Because people, I'm gonna talk about that. I'm gonna talk about that next. But I want I want to hit this point really quickly. But I'm not saying the NCAA should change their method. But I'm just questioning the method and how effective it is in crowning the best team. Because I don't think it necessarily sometimes crowns the best team. Because it's it's a one and done type of thing. But they should not change it because, like I said. It's very entertaining. It's suspenseful. It's a lot of parody. You know, people are, you know, I, I, I mean, I was flipping back and forth from close game to close games and so forth. So it really brings that intensity. Now, back to the money part. Obviously, March Madness rakes in a lot of money. It, it rakes in, I, 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 I mean, Lord knows, only Lord knows 
the figures that March Madness in this tournament rakes in, include not on not to mention the women's tournament and so forth. But this is the big money maker. The men's basketball tournament, this is the big money maker. And I'm really curious to see the ratings over this past weekend. I'm gonna I wanna see the ratings over this like you know over this span of Friday through Monday because and more so Friday, Saturday because because people are at home. People, if they're working, they're probably working virtually from home. So that allow people to watch the games at home. So I w- I'm I'm very curious to see if the ratings increased or they did they decrease because around around the sports world, you can go ask these commissioners. Ratings are dipping since COVID has started. Ratings have dipped. You dating back to last year's last year, ratings have dipped. So I would be really curious to know, and I'm gonna go find it out. <laughs> um, but I'm really curious to see what those ratings look like from this past weekend, because the the games, like like I said, the games were great. The entertainment factor is there. Like the the, the tournament does not miss. As far as entertainment and uh, the game, no, it does not miss. It's right there, 100. But I'm just curious to see if the ratings increase or decrease because a lot of these sports, a lot of these leagues have experienced low ratings. So really curious to see that. Really curious to see that when I do decide to look it up. Um. But those are my takeaways. I think Gonzaga is going to win it all. Um, also, another another takeaway, Georgetown uh, got absolute molly-whopped. Sorry, but they did. They got molly-whopped. <laughs> and it, it, like, it, like, it just goes to show you how, I don't want to say how fluky, how fluke, but it's like, with the tournament, we wrap our arms around certain stories. And I was a victim of it because it was Georgetown. I, you know, Georgetown's in DC, Georgetown is, you know, connections and so forth. We've had people on you know, people from Georgetown come on to the pod. So it's like, you know, want to see Georgetown do good. But I should have used, instead of using my heart, I should have used my head. Because before Georgetown won the Big East tournament. They were below 500, and then they went on this crazy run in the Big East tournament. Then they went, you know, and then that automatic, you know, that got them into the tournament, into the NCAA tournament, and they got Molly Watt by Colorado. And I should have expected that because they were, they were actually a below 500 team in actual, in all actuality, they were a below 500 team. But you know, people love the Patrick Ewing story. It's as well as I, I did too. You know, people love the Georgetown story because we, you know, people know what George, you know, knew what Georgetown used to be. So, you know, I, you know, but I should have used my head instead of my heart. But uh, like I said, I'm using my head for this one. Gonzag is the best team in the conference. They're the best team in the tournament. Excuse me. They're the best team in the tournament. But uh, the tournament was really good this weekend. Let's move on to Aaron Rodgers. Hey y'all, what do you, I mean? Okay, you want some new sportswear? You want some new sports apparel? You want to rep your favorite team? What are you waiting for? Go over to the 47 brand. 
They have up to a 30% sale right now. Up to a 30% sale right now at the 47 brand. They have your favorite teams. It don't matter what sport, what league. It can be college football. It can be NBA, NFL, MLB, um, NHL. It does not matter. The 47 brand has it. Go over there. Rep your favorite team. Don't miss out on that sale. The 47 brand. Okay, so we got some a bit of a a developing story in Green Bay with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers in this contract situation. So, as we all know, the Packers have been very, 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 very quiet in free agency. As they, you know, that's that's the usual with the Packers. You know, not not too flashy. Don't really make any big time uh, signings. They don't. They 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 just don't. It's rare when it happens. So now we're nearing towards the end of free agency. And the Packers are, you know, they're trying to convince Aaron Rodgers to take a pay cut. They're trying to convince Aaron Rodgers to take a pay cut and restructure his contract. Now, why would they be trying to convince Aaron Rodgers to restructure his contract when free agency is over? Over. And the only way that the Packers could really realistically get better is from the draft. But even then, that's kind of a pipe dream. So why why are the Packers asking Aaron Rodgers to restructure his deal? Oh, they wanna they wanna soon cut ties with Aaron Rodgers and eventually start Jordan Love without being in a financial crisis. And I felt bad because I'm looking and I'm like, why in the hell would, the, would Aaron Rodgers restructure his contract as the Packers have not, they, they haven't traded for anybody. They, have, they, they couldn't land J.J. Watt. They couldn't land a second receiver. They, they, instead of re-signing their all-pro center in Corey Lindsley, they decided to re-sign Aaron Jones but they already drafted a running back last year. So they 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 decided to pay Aaron Jones. They did they, so they couldn't retain their all-pro center Corey Lindsley. They they didn't go out and add JJ Watt. They didn't go out and add a second receiver. They didn't do anything. They didn't they, they didn't buff for the defense. You know, kind of it's it's been a Packers offseason. Not a lot of free agent signings. But with Aaron Rodgers, he should like, and I and I've been saying this: Green Bay needs Aaron Rodgers more than Green than more than Aaron Rodgers need Green Bay. I'm gonna repeat that again: Green Bay needs Aaron Rodgers more than Aaron Rodgers needs Green Bay. It's a very one-sided relationship. For the most part, it's a for the most part, it's a very one-sided relationship. I thought last year was the opportunity for the Packers to get back to the Super Bowl. I thought it was. But Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs trailed. He trailed in the playoffs. His defenses did get some big stops. His defenses forced turnovers. But Aaron Rodgers did. 
ultimately, with the ball in his hands multiple times, could not punch it in when it mattered most. And I feel like I, I, people are going to bash the Packers because you know, and I, and I just did it too because the Packers they haven't made any offseason moves. The Packers. They made I think they made an ill-advised signing in re-signing Aaron Jones instead of Corey Lindsley. They 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 you we can talk about these things all day, every day. I I mean, I talked about it throughout the season. I talked about it last season. I you know, I talked about it after the NFC championship game. But at some point, we gotta look at we gotta also look at Aaron Rodgers and say, dude, you gotta be a little bit better too. You gotta be a little bit better too. Because the media tries to give this perception, and I think often Aaron Rodgers' legacy is kind of misjudged because the media gives him this perception of, oh, my God, the the, the talent, the way how he flicks the ball, his, his arm. His throws, the different throw angles he's able to make. And it's all, it's awesome. Aaron Rodgers is a phenomenal talent. Phenomenal. And it's and he's he's a joy to watch. It's awesome. But Aaron Rodgers in a crisis, in tough predicaments, Aaron Rodgers is not as great as we all perceive him to be. And I'm not, like I said, and I'm saying in a crisis, in a crisis, in tough situations, when the going gets tough, Aaron Rodgers is not as great as we may think. He's just not. He's just not. But, but we're just so enamored with his arm, was so in awe of his talent that we sometimes just overlook those deficiencies in a crisis. But Aaron Rodgers, over the years, his leadership has been at question. Over the years, his leadership on and off the field has been in question. Players, former players, it, it's just the mere, it's just a fact. But also, you want you, I'm gonna give you guys a stat, and this is what I mean by Aaron Rodgers not being as great as we may think he is, as far in, in, in tough situations when trailing or in a crisis. Because when trailing at halftime versus a team with a winning record, Aaron Rodgers is a bleeping 0 and 42. I'm gonna repeat that again. When trailing at halftime versus a team with a winning record, Aaron Rodgers is 0 and 42. 0 and 42. You telling me he can't get one game? He can't get one game? 0 and 42 when trailing versus a winning team versus a team with a winning record at halftime. In the playoffs. Since Aaron Rodgers' Super Bowl, since the Super Bowl he won in 2010, Aaron Rodgers is a whopping 7-8. and eight. In his last 15 playoff games, he is 7-8. and eight. Also, in the playoffs, when trailing at halftime, he is 1-8. and eight. 
So I could just come on here and bash the Packers for for their lack of aggression uh, aggressiveness, not making replicable moves to make the team better, um, not getting Aaron Rodgers a second option, not you know not, choosing to just not resign Corey Lindsley because they signed a running back. I could do that. I can come over here and bash them for that. I can come over here and bash the Packers for that because they've been doing, they've been making moves similar like this. They've been making, or lack thereof, they haven't been making a lot of free agency moves over the tender that Aaron Rodgers has been the starting quarterback. But also, I feel like Aaron Rodgers, as great as we as we say he is, we put him on this pedestal. Aaron Rodgers has to be better in certain situations. Not to say he's not great. Aaron Rodgers is an all-time great quarterback. He has a great legacy. But I think his legacy is often misjudged. It's misjudged and misperceived with by the media. It's misjudged and misperceived by the media. And I think Aaron Rodgers eventually has to point the finger at himself. Because if you remember vividly in this past NFC Championship game, Aaron Rodgers had a, he had the opportunity to run it in and score. Instead, he didn't. Now, I do, I, like I said, like I told you guys back then, I did not agree with Matt, with, with Matt LaFleur kicking the field goal. But still, Aaron could have scored, and he didn't. He had opportunities to score, and he didn't. And time and time again, that is the problem. That is the that is the statement. Had an opportunity, but didn't didn't quite get it done. So that's my take on uh, on Aaron Rodgers. But that is the fact of the matter. That is the truth. And like I said, I could just come on here and bash the Packers, and I did. I did a little bit. I did. And Aaron, like I told you, I can admit. The Packers need Aaron Rodgers more than he needs the Packers. You don't, you know, you don't. Simple as that. I'm a true proponent of that. I stand near that. I stand by that. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to just sit up here and say, well, Aaron Rodgers is totally. No, no, no. He's not. No, no. He's not resolved of any of these playoff failures or lack of success that he you know, that he's experienced over his career because he's a part of it too. But the Packers have let him down. But Aaron Rodgers in a crisis is not the particular guy that I would probably want. There's some guys, there's some other guys like Tom Brady who I would want in a crisis, in tough situations, in tough predicaments over Aaron Rodgers. All right, so um, I'm going to wrap it up right here. Um, great pod today. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Also, I know the NBA trade deadline is approaching and nearing. Um, so I know teams like the Lakers are going to try to make some moves. I'm hearing Montrez Herald might, excuse me, might be on a move, which would be tough because Montrez Herald took less money. And to join the Lakers because he wanted to win the championship and he took less money and he could have went to Charlotte and had, you know, had a boatload of cash. 
Um, so that's a, that you know that situation. Uh, Andre Drummond, I heard, uh, is in Los Angeles, so he may he he may become a Laker sooner than later. Uh, the Clippers are trying to make some moves. The Miami Heat, I'm hearing their name a lot thrown into the mix as far as the team that's trying to make some moves. I don't in in, in my in for the life of me, I don't understand why the Miami Heat are now trying to trade Tyler Hero uh, for Kyle Lowry. So this was the same Heat team that was so hesitant, so hell-bent on keeping Tyler Hero when they came to trying to trade for James Harden. They were so hell-bent. Now, all of a sudden, you know, (laughs) options look very limited, and the Heat, you know, we don't looking at their team right now as constructed. We don't see them as a, a as a as a East, you know, getting back to the finals. So now they're trying to they're trying every which way to make a move, and they're trying to get Kyle Lowry. And that's no disrespect to Kyle Lowry, but it's just a mere fact that you're trying to trade away Tyler Hero for Kyle Lowry when you traded you could have traded Tyler Hero away for James Harden. It's just uh, I don't know. Um, I, I just don't understand. Philadelphia, I know, is trying to make some moves. Uh, I know a couple teams are after Kyle Lowry. Like, the, the Sixers are after Kyle Lowry. Um, the Heat are after Kyle Lowry. I think the Clippers could use a guy like Kyle Lowry. I know Lonzo Ball could be on the move. The Clippers could use a guy like Lonzo Ball. So, a lot of moves are destined to happen. A lot of big news coming out of the trade deadline. I know Victor Oladipo. Is a name. Uh, Orton, Aaron Gordon is another big time name that's been thrown out there. So we will see. We will see. Hopefully, by the next episode, we will have like some of these deals would have happened and we will discuss and break these down. But without further ado, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you guys for, um, you know, coming back and, you know, enjoying another episode of the IKP, the Isaac podcast. Uh, Really appreciate it. Always remember two choices, one decision. Uh, I'm going to conclude it right here. Thank you, guys. Adios. Peace. Amigos. Um, Arrivederci. Uh, Anyway, any form of saying goodbye. See you guys. Enjoy.